All right. Three, two, one. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Shum. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Monday, September 24th. And uh, it's Monday. I mean, whatever that means. I'm exhausted already. Like, this week is off to a terrible start. If it's mon- I just got to be positive, I guess. I don't know. I hate school so much. It's so frustrating. I want to remind you guys real quick, before we start the show, how great the Cleveland Browns jerseys were on Thursday night. Those... Were they black? Were they dark brown? I don't know. They were awesome. I loved them. They were fantastic. In just a minute, we're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills and their surprising win, and we're going to talk in depth about Josh Allen. But first, I want to start with this. The Packers lost to the Redskins 31-17 to on Sunday. Aaron Rodgers was 27-44, to had 265 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and it was hard to watch because Aaron Rodgers was hobbling around. He was limping. It was ugly at times. And I felt for the guy. I felt really bad for the guy because he was, he was really good. He, he played really, really well. For most quarterbacks in the NFL, that's a good game. The problem was Aaron Rodgers needs to be great in order for the Green Bay Packers to win. Aaron Rodgers can't get away with being good. He needs to be great. They will not make the playoffs if he's just good. He needs to play at a higher level. And that makes me ask the question, should Aaron Rodgers take a game off? He's hurt. He hurt his knee. The Packers are 1-1-1. One, one, and one. They have one loss, one win, and a tie. And I, this is where I want to go with this, is that rest is really important. It's a frustrating fact of life. I hate it. I don't like it. Um, for me, it's really frustrating. I have so much I want to do. I have four jobs. I have 18 credits. I have a podcast to do every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I don't want to take time off. I don't want to rest. I have stuff to do. But I've learned it's a necessary evil, and I wonder if Aaron Rodgers might benefit down the road from taking a game off, from not playing for a game. I don't know. Sometimes if I don't rest, I'm not effective. Um, And you need to rest in order to become more effective. Aaron Rodgers is not quite there yet, but his injury is close. I don't know. It just does make me wonder. Because Aaron Rodgers is playing, he's playing good, not great. And if he rests, will taking a game off make him go from good to great? Will taking a game off next week or a week, two weeks from now, would Aaron Rodgers take a game off to heal and get better? Would that help him shift up to the next gear and play better down the road? Very possible. Now the Packers, if he takes a game off, the Packers are probably going to lose. And that's painful. That's hard. But again, resting is a long-term investment. I've learned this. There's 168 hours in a week. If taking a night off, if taking six hours makes me more effective for the rest of the week, it's actually good for you to take that time off. It's good for you to rest for six hours if it's the only way for you to be efficient the rest of the 168, whatever, whatever that is, 162, whatever that math is. There are 13 games left for the Green Bay Packers. Packers, again, have one loss, one tie, and a win. And I would propose if Aaron Rodgers is, needs a week off to go from good to great, he should take a week off. He should rest because the Packers need Aaron Rodgers to play great in order for him to win. He played really good yesterday against the Washington Redskins. It wasn't enough. Um, And so I I think it's very possible that Aaron Rodgers should take a week off. If the Packers can determine Aaron Rodgers taking a week off, resting his knee, going from good to great, shifting up a gear, is going to help them for the next 12 games, he should take one game off, sacrifice one, so the rest of the 12 go really well. Because, again, the Packers can't screw around. If they want to make the playoffs, they need Aaron Rodgers to play at a really, really high level. And yesterday... He played at a good level. Solid. A lot of quarterbacks, that's a good game. 
But for Aaron Rodgers, he needs to play at a much higher level for them to win. My opinion, just saying. Uh, we have a great show today. I, I'm going to talk about Josh Allen, of course. I'm going to d- dive into the Jimmy Garoppolo injury. Jimmy Garoppolo tore his ACL. I'm going to react to that, share my thoughts, share my opinion. Um, there's a, it's, it's obviously bad for the 49ers, but there's another reason why it's bad. I'm excited to talk about that. We're going to talk about Blake Bortles. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of stuff. I'm so excited to jump into this podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends about the show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Okay, I'm going to tell you something that will shock you. You're going to be very surprised by this. Guess what? I am wrong sometimes. I make mistakes. I know, it's unbelievable. What? Zach Schaumler, you screw up? You get things wrong? Uh, Yeah, I do. (laughs) And also, I I take chances. This show is called Strong Opinion Sports. I take a lot of chances. Sometimes it pays off. Sometimes I'm dead wrong. But I don't want to be bland, vanilla sports. I want to be strong opinion sports. And part of that means I'm wrong sometimes. There are things that surprise me. I make a prediction. Do not expect it at all. And I'm, I'm flat surprised. You know what surprised me the most this weekend? It was the Buffalo Bills. I think me, a lot of people felt that way. I, I'm, I'm willing to admit I might have been wrong about the Buffalo Bills. Um, but I want to say, I will say this. They played one game this week. One game is not enough to, to completely change my opinion of the Bills. But again, the shock of the weekend, the biggest shock of the weekend, was that the Buffalo Bills beat the Vikings 27-6. to I admit, of course, I did not see this coming. I called the Bills at one point the worst team in the NFL, the worst team in football. Um, Yeah, I'll take my lumps. I was wrong. But I got to admit, the coolest part of this game was Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills quarterback. He stepped up. He played well. Josh Allen was 15 for 22, had 196 yards passing with a touchdown. He also ran for 39 yards and two touchdowns. Yes, it cannot be understated. The Buffalo Bills defense Lights out. They were fantastic. They won the first game, the half, first half. They're the reason why the Bills shut them out in the second half. The Bills' defense was incredible. But what I didn't expect in this game was Josh Allen to play as well as he did. Josh Allen was not perfect, but he had a 68% completion percentage. That's pretty unbelievable. That's far better than anyone could have expected. Better than I expected. I'm sure some crazy Bills fan out there believed it, but I, I just didn't see this coming. Nobody can expect perfection from anybody, let alone a rookie quarterback, but he played well above the expectation level. And what I really liked about Josh Allen is he was really good at escaping the pocket. What we haven't seen from Josh Allen at, at all in the NFL is every time he tries, he, what he, Josh Allen loved to do in college and the NFL all around, anytime he's played football, Josh Allen has loved to escape the pocket, roll out to the right. And so far this year, he has not been able to do that. He's never been able to get to the edge. Yesterday against the Vikings, Josh Allen was able to get to the edge, and there's a big reason why he played so well. He got to use broken plays and throw the ball downfield. There was a big, like, like a 60, 70-yard pass. The guy caught it, ran for a bunch of yards before he even found anybody on the, Giants, on the Vikings defense. It was fantastic. Uh, the biggest thing for the Bills was that receivers made some plays. It was interesting. Uh, but even though they made some plays, guys like Kelvin Benjamin, the biggest target for the Buffalo Bills, did drop some plays. But again, Josh Allen was incredibly surprising. I-, I loved watching Josh Allen. It was fun to it was just it was shocking actually how well he played. Um, and I really hope this is the beginning of something for the Bills. 
I, I hope, I'm rooting for Josh Allen to play really well down the stretch. I would love to see him become the Buffalo Bills franchise quarterback. I know the Bills fans believe in him. I, I know they're hopeful. I'm hopeful too. I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical, but I really, really hope this is the beginning of something cool. Because I, as a football fan, I root for good quarterback play. And I want people to succeed. I never, ever root against people. I'm not a mean-spirited person. And I, and I really hope Josh Allen down the road keeps us up and plays as well as he did on Sunday. It's worth mentioning, you know, the, the Bills did not score in the second half. The Vikings did. They finally reached the end zone. Uh, and the Bills winning was a giant shock. But there are some factors you can mention that do help you explain, okay, why did the Vikings lose to the Bills? And not only lose to the Bills, why did they lose so badly to the Bills? I want to propose you a, a theory. All day, I was watching NFL Red Zone, had it on, had two TVs going at the same time. And uh, the thing I heard, both channels, no matter what was happening, everybody kept talking about the Thursday night football game between the Rams and the Vikings. And I want to propose to you an idea. Is it possible the Vikings completely overlooked the Bills on Sunday and were looking ahead to the Rams? No excuses. You can't do that. And, And credit to the Bills for taking advantage of that. But is it possible that the Vikings maybe didn't even take the Bills seriously? I mean, that's the power of the Rams. The Rams are by far the best team in the NFL. Is it possible that the Vikings got so caught up looking ahead to the Rams, they forgot, oh yeah, we got a game on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. I just wonder. Another thing you got to remember with the Vikings is they were coming off of a tie. I, I really believe that tie games are more demoralizing than a loss. A loss, you can go, ah, oh, dang it. We'll come back, we'll get it next time. And, and maybe you can say that with a loss, but losses appear to be far more demoralizing for NFL franchises. No team has come off a tie this year and won a game. Not a single team. It's not happened yet. The Steelers lost, the Browns lost, the Packers lost, and the Vikings lost badly. Nobody's able to overcome a tie game. Nobody plays well the week after a tie game. So it's possible. Maybe the Vikings were preoccupied, maybe not. Um... But either way, I will admit, the Bills kicked the Vikings' butts. I mean, it was fun to watch all around, every face. And it's also worth noting, Kirk Cousins, the Vikings quarterback, played really well. He was 40 for 55, 296 yards passing, one touchdown, an interception that was tipped. Um, But even that was still not enough. I was shocked. I was shocked and I was happy for the Buffalo Bills. They took care of business. They showed up to play. Apparently, the Vikings did not. And the Bills just dominated the Vikings. It was weird to watch because, again, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Even Bills fans, you got to be honest with yourself. Did you think the Bills were going to destroy the Vikings? I'm sure someone commenter, some commenter is going to say you did, but I, I don't think anybody expected that. They looked horrible the first two weeks. And to watch them come out and dominate the Vikings was not only surprising, it was pretty cool because, I'm, again, I'm so happy for the Bills and I'm happy for Josh Allen. I want to make a comparison real quick. You know, if I go to a restaurant that has low quality food or average food, it doesn't necessarily ruin my night. It could. But if I go to a restaurant with all my friends and the food kind of sucks, it's not the worst thing ever. My friends and I can overcome it because I have good company around me. I have good people to hang out with. My experience wouldn't be totally ruined by average food at a restaurant. Now, in comparison at a movie theater, if I go to a bad movie, that's it. The experience is ruined because you can't talk in a movie. You're, it's in a dark room. If the movie sucks, the experience is bad for me. I don't like that. Blake Bortles is kind of like a bad movie. 
At least he was on Sunday. You got to understand what Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles is the lifeblood of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, their defense is incredibly important. They need their defense to play well. But yesterday, guess what? The Jaguars' defense played really well, and it was not enough. It wasn't enough. The Jaguars lost to the Titans yesterday 9-6. to Yeah, the Jaguars' defense held the Titans to nine points, three field goals, and they were unable to win the game. The reason is because of Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles was not enough. And Blake Bortles, if it's a great movie, the experience is good. If it's a bad movie, the experience is bad. If Blake Bortles plays well, they win. If he plays bad, they lose. I've said all year, Blake Bortles is the key to the Jaguars' success. They could win a Super Bowl if he plays really well. And they could flounder and not even make the playoffs if he plays bad. Yesterday, he played bad. I don't want to hate on him too much. It wasn't the worst performance he's ever had. But it was weird. It was like, where did this come from? Blake Bortles was, let's read his stats, he was 21 for 34, which isn't terrible. He had a 61% completion percentage, but he only had 155 yards passing and no interceptions. That's awesome, but also no touchdowns. And that's unacceptable. Your defense needs support. You can't hold a team to nine points and lose a game, especially not with the Jaguars roster. And I know there's a lot of, there was a lot of pressure on Blake Bortles yesterday. He had had guys in his face constantly. He was only sacked three times. But still, Blake Bortles did have pressure all the day. It was not good for the Jaguars' offensive line. But all that being said, Blake Bortles was not accurate enough yesterday. He missed too often on third down. It was weird downfield. And what's even more interesting is it appeared like the Jaguars, out of nowhere, suddenly, didn't trust Blake Bortles. They trusted Blake Bortles with their play calling a bunch against the uh, Patriots last week. This week against the Titans, something changed. I don't know what it was. But they were not taking chances down the field. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they were like, you know, Blake's having a bad day. Let's call conservative play calls. I don't know what was going on. But for whatever reason, it just appeared like the Jaguars didn't trust Blake Bortles against the Titans. I don't know what happened. A week ago, tons of trust, tons of downfield throws, total belief. This week, nada, nothing. I I don't know. I don't understand what happened. Yeah, I saw a joke online. This guy said, you know, you can't call Blake Bortles inconsistent because he's so consistently inconsistent. And I I don't know. I I really hope the Titans game is a fluke for Blake Bortles. And again, his stat line wasn't the worst ever. He didn't have five interceptions. He he had a pretty good completion percentage. But he didn't make the necessary throws down the stretch and didn't make enough plays for the Jaguars to win. I'm not asking for a lot. I'm not asking for 57 points a game from Blake Bortles. But you got to score more points than six. You can't have two field goals and lose. Blake Bortles needs to be better. And and again, I want to repeat, the play calling was weird. The play calling appeared to not trust Blake Bortles. I know the Jaguars struggled running the ball. They weren't great. But I I thought Blake Bortles was past this. I thought Blake Bortles had reached a point where he could carry the team with his arm. He did last Sunday against the Patriots. And the fact that he was stopped on Sunday against the Titans was just weird to me. It's weird. It made me ask a lot of questions because I thought we were past this. I finally was starting to believe in Blake Bortles. And nope, nope. He had a weird game. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I hope it's a fluke. I hope Blake Bortles plays great the rest of the year and the Jaguars win the Super Bowl. That'd be cool for Blake. Um, but he can't keep playing the way he did on Sunday. It just wasn't enough. It wasn't awful, but he needs to be, he can't be, oh, Blake Bortles, if he's not awful every week, that's not enough. He needs to play great. If Blake Bortles plays great, the Jaguars could win the Super Bowl. 
If he plays average or below average like he did on Sunday, they're not going to even make the playoffs. Blake Bortles is the key to the Jaguars' success. If he doesn't play well, they're not going to do well. Oh, I feel so bad for 49ers fans. I do. Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt on Sunday against the Chiefs. He hurt his knee, and actually what he did was it got, um, got confirmed by Adam Schefter today. Jimmy Garoppolo tore his ACL. He made a cut. It was non-contact. He was planting his knee. He did get hit after planting, um, but it was appeared to be a non-contact injury. Jimmy Garoppolo tore his ACL. Out for the year. Huge loss. I mean, obviously it's a huge loss. Um, and just I want to point out, remember first, that the 49ers signed their running back, Jarek McKinnon, to a big deal, tore his ACL earlier this season. And now Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers quarterback, has torn his ACL. Man, can the 49ers catch a break? It's brutal. I feel bad for them. And uh, I just, I can't I imagine it's so discouraging if you're a 49er fan. But I can put a positive spin on it. Here's a positive outlook on Jimmy Garoppolo tearing his ACL. At the very least, I don't think the 49ers could have won a Super Bowl this year. This was not their year. And it would have hurt a lot more if this, they were making a run, they had all the pieces in place, and then Jimmy Garoppolo tore his ACL. It could have been worse, right? It could have been their season to win, and they blew it because of their quarterback tearing his ACL. I'm not saying it's great. But I think in two years from now, the 49ers are setting themselves up to have a really great playoff run. And it's better to happen now than two years from now. But, man, I, I, can't, I can't acknowledge enough. It's, it's bad for 49ers fans. I feel bad for them. Now, their backup, C.J. Beathard, I believe may not be terrible. I, I don't think he's awful. Um, but we're really going to learn how valuable Jimmy Garoppolo is. Remember, he signed a giant contract, $137.5 million dollars. If the 49ers completely fall apart without Jimmy Garoppolo, then yeah, he earned his contract. It shows how valuable Jimmy Garoppolo is. Actually, my concern would be, what if the 49ers like, do well? What if, if some miraculous way, what if C.J. Beathard plays better than Jimmy Garoppolo has this year? Then you have a lot of weird questions. I don't know what to do. But here's the biggest. I, I don't know if I said this earlier, but the, the most concerning thing about Jimmy Garoppolo's injury, if you're Jimmy Garoppolo, if you're a fan of him, is that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to miss valuable reps. Towards the end of the game, and really the, the first three weeks of the NFL season, Jimmy Garoppolo's inexperience has shown. Jimmy Garoppolo was doing a number of small things that made it clear that to defense is what he was about to do. He was telegraphing his next move. Remember, Richard Sherman warned us about this. Richard Sherman talked about earlier in this year, he's telegraphing throws. He's doing little things that you can... You can predetermine what Jimmy Garoppolo is going to do next. An announcer pointed out during the 49ers Chiefs game when Jimmy Garoppolo did a quarterback sneak, for example, this is something I was taught when I was a kid. You got to go ab about business as usual. You can't go up to the line and only focus on one spot. And that's exactly what Jimmy Garoppolo did. Jimmy Garoppolo did not go up to the line of scrimmage, scan around, read a defense like normal. What Jimmy Garoppolo did was look down at his center, look at exactly where he was going, snap the ball, go. And he got the first down. But if people look at tape next week and the week after, if Jimmy Garoppolo did a quarterback sneak the next time, he would get stuffed because we would all know. And people would know, oh, he's not scanning the field. He's doing things differently. Therefore, he's about to run a quarterback sneak. Another thing Jimmy Garoppolo has been doing that's really, really concerning is simply holding on to the ball too long. If you watch my Instagram story, you saw I had a stopwatch and I was clocking every time Jimmy Garoppolo would drop back. At times, he held the ball for almost seven seconds. You can't do that. 
You just cannot expect to be successful standing in the pocket for seven seconds in the NFL. If you can, that's awesome, but you can't expect to be successful doing that. The, the key in the NFL, the rule in the NFL is two and a half seconds. You have two and a half seconds to get the ball out. Seven seconds, do the math, that's a lot more than two and a half. <laughs> that's absurd. And if your offensive line is allowing you to stay in the pocket for seven seconds, they've done their job. You can't fault the offensive line for sacks if Jimmy Garoppolo is holding on the ball for seven seconds, and he was. And so whatever way, whatever fix is going to happen, whether it's a different route combination or he needs to find his outlet or he needs to simply throw the ball away, something, that's not acceptable. Jimmy Garoppolo cannot hold the ball for seven seconds. And that's the thing I was most excited to watch him improve on this year is how does he go about getting the ball out quick? Because if you watch Tom Brady, Tom Brady does not hold on to the ball for a long time. He finds a way to get it out quick, whether that's changing the play to a play that suits the defense, whatever it is. Tom Brady doesn't hold the ball for seven seconds. Jimmy Garoppolo was, and I really wanted to watch him progress that way. And now we won't get that chance. And again, that's the biggest issue with Jimmy Garoppolo's injury. He's missing valuable learning experiences. He's losing out on opportunities where he could be getting better. He could watch film. That's great. Um, but I, I really was hopeful because I think the 49ers were not going to win this year. They were, they were going to be, I think, 9-7 and seven was my prediction. But they, they had an opportunity to get a lot better and build something for the future. And now without your running back, without your quarterback, you're not going to be gaining those valuable reps that they could have used to build on and learn from. And that's the most concerning thing about Jimmy Garoppolo's injury. It's not that the 49ers season is probably over. It's that now Jimmy Garoppolo can't get better for the rest of the 13 games this year. He could have used those games to get better, and now we can't. So week four, the 49ers play the Chargers. Oh, it's likely going to be an ugly game. I, and I feel bad for 49er fans. Um, I would pretty much chalk up the 49ers as going one and three already. They're one and two right now. They're almost guaranteed to lose to the Chargers unless C.J. Beathard out of nowhere plays like an all-star. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, it's the 49er season appears to be over. And that's disappointing because they had a lot of good things going for them. They were not going to be a great team to probably make the playoffs, but they had a lot of stuff I was excited to watch build and grow. And now it's just like deflating and kind of boring. It's one of my main things I was excited to watch this year was the 49ers. How do they build off last year? And sadly, we're not going to get that at all. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about the Seattle Seahawks trade rumors with Russell Wilson. There are, believe it or not, there are rumors that the Seahawks are going to trade Russell Wilson. Uh, I'm going to share my opinion because I, I just, I don't think people get it. I don't think people understand Russell Wilson. He's like one of the most misunderstood quarterbacks in the NFL. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the Oregon Ducks. I rarely talk about college football on Mondays. Wednesday is usually my big college football day. Um, but I want to talk about the Ducks because I was very, very impressed with them this week. And should people panic about Deshaun Watson? He's off to a slow start. I'm going to tell you what I think about it. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends about the show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. And if you want cool guests, if you want the show on Twitch someday... Help me grow. Help the audience grow. Because the more the audience grows, the more ability I have to do different stuff. So help me grow. Continue to tell your friends about this show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, I don't talk about college football very often on Mondays. It's pretty rare. 
I usually save college football for Wednesdays, but I saw something this weekend that really, really impressed me. On Saturday night, the Oregon Ducks lost to the Stanford Cardinal 38-31. And despite losing, I was really, really impressed with the Oregon Ducks. Specifically, their quarterback, Justin Herbert, and their head coach, Mario Cristobal. So I, I've been highly, highly skeptical, uh, skeptical, skeptical. I've been highly skeptical of Justin Herbert. You know, many people say that he's the number one quarterback in all of college football. And I just, ah, I said, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I, I want proof before I'm going to make that declaration. On Saturday, I saw it. On Saturday, I saw, oh, wow, uh, Justin Herbert's fantastic. I'm actually kind of embarrassed it took me so long to find, you know, admit this. And I want to forget about stats for a minute. What I saw on Saturday from Justin Herbert was not only incredible accuracy, was not only incredible arm strength, but he had really great pocket presence. He ran when he needed to, but for the most part, Justin Herbert stayed in the pocket. He moved around within the pocket. He'd slide left, he'd slide right. He would slide to create throwing lanes. Justin Herbert played really well within the pocket. He was not a running quarterback. He was a quarterback that could run, but Justin Herbert was succeeded against the Cardinal in the pocket. That's a huge deal. Justin Herbert also elevated subpar wide receivers. He made great throws. On If you hit a guy right in the hands, it's pretty hard for them to drop it. I've seen at times this year him do that. Guys just drop wide open passes. But on Saturday, Justin Herbert elevated the subpar talent around him. That's a big deal. That's rare to find in a college quarterback. But another thing that was so impressive is he moved all the way across the field through progressions. Justin Herbert would start at his left, then move all the way to his third and fourth read on the right side of the field. It's fantastic. That's hard to find. That's rare. Even Drew Locke, I haven't really seen that yet from him this year, the Missouri quarterback. I want to, I want to tell you about a play that I saw. There's one throw I, I can't get over that Justin Herbert made. He was scanning the field. He's looking at the left side of the field. He moves from the left all the way across. He finds a guy on the right hash, plants his foot, balls out, makes a, throws an absolute laser to his guy on the right hash. And, you know, I played quarterback in college. I have a solid arm. I play flag football. I dominate. Um, and and I, I watch this play, and I go, I look at that guy on the hash, and he's not open. My arm is not strong enough to make that throw. I, I would see that and go, I mean, that's why I didn't play Division I football. I had a weak arm. And I, I look at him and go, that's, for me, that's not open. And the fact that Justin Herbert's mind worked so quickly and said, that guy's open, I can throw it there, and did. And it made it look easy. I just, I can't get over it. It was incredible. It's fantastic. What we saw on Saturday from Justin Herbert was an NFL-level performance. It was, it was awesome. Against Stanford, he was dominant. And again, Oregon's not very good. I, I'm, I really am a believer that Oregon's overrated. They should not be the 20th-ranked team in the nation. I know they played well. They kept up with Stanford, but a lot of that was because their quarterback, Justin Herbert, elevated the people around him. He got the Ducks to overtime against Stanford, which is a big deal. I'm not going to hold the loss against Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert was 26 for 33, 346 yards, only one touchdown throwing, but, and, he, and he did have an interception. But, man, I saw enough. I, believe, I finally believe Justin Herbert is the man. I finally I'm by it. I believe in him now. I'm embarrassed it took me so long to figure it out, but I'm glad I did it because Justin Herbert, wow. He not only stepped up, not only made great decisions, not only made great throws, it'd be one thing to play really well. It's another thing to play really well and elevate the people around you and lift your team up to be more competitive against a better roster. That is what Justin Herbert did, and I was so, so impressed with Justin Herbert on Saturday. And that leads me to Mario Cristobal. 
the Ducks head coach. I remember when Mario Cristobal was hired by the Ducks. I again, I was highly skeptical. I thought, who is that guy? Like, who is he? I don't care. He's some offensive line coach. Here's why Mario Cristobal impressed me on Saturday. The Ducks' offensive line was dominant against Stanford. That's rare. You rarely see a team physically bully Stanford. They did. They pushed around Stanford. The line of scrimmage was dominated by the Ducks on Saturday. That's Mario Cristobal's impact on the Ducks. I'm convinced. Watch them play. They're bigger. It's a different offensive line you haven't seen from the Ducks in years. They always had these smaller guys that weren't as big. Mario Cristobal comes in. They're bigger. They're stronger. They're dominant physically. It's a different type of athlete you haven't seen at Oregon in a long time. That's Mario Cristobal's impact on the Ducks. Remember, Mario Cristobal is a former offensive lineman for the U in Miami. He worked with Nick Saban. He was Willie Taggart's offensive line coach, the former Ducks coach last year. I know the Ducks lost to Stanford in overtime. I, I know it's not. You sh- I'm rarely excited when a team loses. I'm really like, wow, I'm so impressed with a team that lost. But I was. I mean, look, the Ducks lost the game they were supposed to lose. And despite that, the Ducks made it a great fight. It was interesting. It was fun to watch. I was highly impressed. The Ducks' offensive line was big time. That's a big deal. That's rare to find a team that pushes Stanford around. So if, if I'm an offensive lineman recruit, if I'm an 18-year-old offensive lineman anywhere in the country and Mario Cristobal comes to me, he's a former offensive lineman, he's an offensive line coach, he gets it. And that's who I'd want to play for. I, I understand. Like Mario Cristobal is one of my guys if I'm an offensive lineman. And I think that's really going to pay dividends for Oregon moving forward. Because Mario Cristobal clearly understands offensive linemen. He develops them really well. What I saw from Oregon against Stanford on Saturday was different offensive line play you haven't seen in years from Oregon. They, they were bigger. They were dominant. They were pushing people around. Even with Chip Kelly at the national championship game, they weren't dominating physically all year like they did against Stanford. It was really fun to watch, and I was so excited. Okay, I've seen a story circulating about Russell Wilson's trade value. As if the Seahawks are considering trading Russell Wilson. And I just want to say, if the Seahawks did indeed trade Russell Wilson, that would be one of the most stupid trades in NFL history. I know people got mad about Khalil Mack. I would be, I'm not a Seahawks fan. I I live in the Northwest, but I I like Russell Wilson. I appreciate his talent. I would be shocked. I would would never let the Seahawks forget that ever, ever at all. Because think of how many teams would love to have Russell Wilson. Over the years, how many teams would go, oh, yeah, we would kill to have Russell Wilson as our quarterback? A lot. That's how you know if your quarterback's any good. It's kind of like a girl. If, if a lot of guys want to date your girlfriend, your girlfriend's pretty awesome. If a lot of guys want your quarterback, if a lot of teams would rather have your quarterback than theirs, then your quarterback's really good. A lot of teams would love to have Russell Wilson. And weirdly enough, I don't think Seattle fans support Russell Wilson. I don't think they understand how great he is. If Russell Wilson's traded, here's basically what happens. Here's what's happening if the Seahawks, for some reason, decide to trade their quarterback. This summer, my car was overheating a lot. I couldn't figure it out. I had to look into the coolant system, and I kept replacing all kinds of different parts in the coolant system in my car. And uh, what I realized eventually, none of the parts I was changing were making a difference. And in fact, the problem was a thing called the O-ring, a little tiny plastic piece that sits inside the housing that holds my thermostat. That's all probably weird nonsense. You have no idea what I'm talking about. The point is this. It was like a $5 part. 
And I totally overlooked all this other stuff. I changed all these other things before I realized, oh, the answer's simple. It's, it's very obvious what I needed to fix and I, I didn't do it. I felt dumb, but I learned. I figured it out. The Seattle Seahawks blaming Russell Wilson for their lack of success on offense, lack of wins, all everything. It's all wrong. Their offensive line is clearly and obviously the problem. You keep changing all these other parts. It's not the quarterback. It's the offensive line. It's the one thing, for whatever reason, the Seahawks cannot figure out. I don't understand. I mean, basically, the Seattle Seahawks have 99 problems. Russell Wilson is not one of them. Come on, guys. It's horrible. It's, it's just really, really laughable how bad it is. How can you not watch the Seattle Seahawks and understand the offensive line is awful? Oh, and by the way, the play calling is atrocious. They're in this archaic, stagnant offense that's terrible. And what's even more infuriating is Seattle Seahawks fans will say, well, you know, Russell Wilson's paid a ton of money. He shouldn't complain you can't get players around him because Russell Wilson makes all the money on the Seahawks. <sighs> that argument is so... You realize Matt Ryan is one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the entire NFL, yet somehow, like a miracle, guess what the Falcons do? The Falcons somehow are able to put offensive weapons around their quarterback. Matt Ryan is good offensive line. He has one of the top wide receivers in the NFL. You act like it's an impossible task to have a high-paid quarterback and some good players around him on offense. Drew Brees, high-paid quarterback, has help. Aaron Rodgers has an offensive line, despite the fact I think he's now the highest-paid quarterback in the entire NFL. Why can every single franchise figure out how to support their quarterback, yet for whatever reason the Seattle Seahawks can't go, oh, huh, I know that Russell Wilson's running for his life, but you know, really, it's Russell Wilson's fault. It couldn't possibly be the offensive line. Stop telling me Russell Wilson's the issue. Seattle, the Seahawks, the franchise, the fans, everybody, stop acting like Russell Wilson is the problem with your franchise. It's not. It's so clearly, A, the offensive line, and B, the play calling. It's awful. The, the offensive system is archaic. It's like a 1950s offense. It's trash. Russell Wilson is a free agent in 2020. He's free to go wherever he wants, assuming he doesn't sign another extension. I so badly hope Russell Wilson leaves. I grew up in the Northwest. A lot of my friends are Seahawks fans. I like Russell Wilson. I want what's best for him. And the best thing for him is to leave. To go to a team that can actually figure it out. Oh, we should probably get our quarterback and offensive line. It's okay to spend money and get some wide receivers, get some help. Maybe a running back, for instance. So go ahead, Seattle. If you want to trade Russell Wilson, do it. I dare you. Watch what happens. If you trade Russell Wilson, you're dooming your future forever. I, you may not win with Russell Wilson, but I guarantee you will not if you trade Russell Wilson. Go ahead, do it. I dare you. Trade him. It's not going to go well for you. I don't know. I, just, I think Russell Wilson might be one of the most underappreciated people in the entire NFL. I just don't think people get how good he is. How much he does for that franchise. He's basically Superman. Like, you, you realize, the only reason, I think he had, like, all but one of their touchdowns last year. Literally. No joke. He had almost, I think he had, like, 33 of the Seahawks' 34 touchdowns last year. It was some stat like that. It was crazy. It's like, man, how does nobody appreciate how much he does for that franchise? It just drives me nuts. All right, the Pittsburgh Steelers are finally listening to trade offers for Le'Veon Bell. And that made me immediately think, okay, there are four teams that should trade for Le'Veon Bell, and there's one team that should not trade for Le'Veon Bell. The four teams that should trade for him are the Seahawks, the Colts, 
the Jets and the Packers. The Jets right away have a ton of cap space. The Jets should make a move for Le'Veon Bell. They have a young quarterback, great defense. They appear to have a good head coach. They need help on the offensive line for sure. But go get a star running back. The most frustrating thing I see a lot of teams do is they have all this cap space and they never use it. Uh, This girl I've been hanging out with recently has a quote on her arm. It says, ships are safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships were made for. Use your cap space. The biggest crime you can do is have all this free cap space and never use it. It's there for a reason. Go get good players to help you win. And I would love to see the Jets go get Le'Veon Bell, a great, possibly Hall of Fame running back that's going to help them win games. Now, the Colts and the Seahawks should go get Le'Veon Bell for very similar reasons. You must support your quarterback with good players. Colts could use a running back. The Seahawks have not had a run game in forever. They could use a running back. I don't know if in Seattle the money would work out. I know that maybe you could trade Earl Thomas and and swap contracts. I don't know. I don't know how the money works out. But I know the Seahawks could use help in the running game. They should make a move for Le'Veon Bell. And finally, the Packers need a running game. The Packers have not had a running game in years, years. They've had the best quarterback in the NFL for years without a running game. It's weird. They're 23rd in the NFL in rushing. I know they have Aaron Rodgers, but he's limping around. He's hobbling around. Maybe the best thing you could do for Aaron Rodgers is take some pressure off of him by getting a good running game going for the Packers. I would love to see the Packers go get Le'Veon Bell. That'd be a huge move. Now, there's one team that should not trade for Le'Veon Bell. One team that absolutely should avoid him. It's the 49ers. The 49ers should not go after Le'Veon Bell. I'd save your draft picks. Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. Jarek McKinnon got hurt. He's out for the year. You're not going to win this year. I wouldn't, take, I wouldn't trade away all your future picks to get Le'Veon Bell and for a season that's probably lost anyways. I would reset if I'm the 49ers. I'd reset for next year, and I would not trade for Le'Veon Bell. So again, the four teams that should trade for him, the Packers, the Jets, the Seahawks, and the Colts. And the 49ers should not trade for him. Their their players are injured. They're not going to win this year. Don't take that chance. Save your picks. I would not trade for Le'Veon Bell if I was the 49ers. Deshaun Watson has gotten off to a slow start for the Houston Texans. The Texans are 0-3. And And Deshaun Watson is only completing 59% of his passes, which isn't horrible. It's almost 60, but it's not. The minimum in the NFL, the barrier to entry, in my opinion, is 60%. It's not great. Sean Watson has five touchdowns, three interceptions, and they just the Texans are off to a slow start. He's not playing incredible. He's not playing like that he did in that six-game stretch last year where he basically was already rookie of the year after only six games. Now, I, I believe Deshaun Watson's going to be okay. I think he's gonna, it's going to work out for him. I admit, I have not watched a ton of the Texans, but here's, in the little I have watched of the Texans this year, this is my takeaway, this is my opinion. I think Deshaun Watson's simply trying to do too much. Every time I watch that kid, he's trying to make every single play into a home run. Trying to make every play work. He's scrambling, running around. He's forcing the ball into bad situations. And I, I think that Deshaun Watson's trying to be Superman, which is understandable. Look, look the guy got a ton of press this offseason. Deshaun Watson might have been the most hyped-up athlete this entire offseason. Everyone was talking about, we're so excited to watch him again this year because he's going to do what he did last year again. And I just don't think Deshaun Watson's letting the game come to him. He's forcing it. He's trying too hard. I don't blame him, but Deshaun Watson's going to be okay. Everything he's, every mistake he's making is highly fixable. He just needs to relax. He needs to slow down. Deshaun Watson needs to focus on making good decisions, 
play to play instead of trying to make every play into a home run that works. He needs to be willing to throw the ball away. He needs to be willing to admit, okay, some plays, this play isn't going to work. Got to move on to the next one. And eventually Deshaun Watson will develop mentally pre-snap reading the defense and he will start audibling. He'll do what Tom Brady does, which is Tom Brady almost never runs a bad play. But for now, Deshaun Watson isn't there yet. If there's a bad play called, he needs to just accept it, throw it away, get back to the line of scrimmage, do something. Stop trying to do everything you can in every play. Some plays are a loss, and I don't think Deshaun Watson yet is willing to take a loss in certain plays. So again, eventually he'll progress. He'll make changes. Of the, uh, he'll make audibles at the line of scrimmage. He'll make sure the Texans are always in a good play, but he's not there yet. And if I'm a, 40, if I'm a Texan fan, I would not panic. Houston Texans fans should not panic. I think Deshaun Watson's going to figure it out. Every mistake, every little thing he's doing, it's all fixable. It's all okay. Don't lose your head yet. So yeah, I think the Texans starting 0-3, it's, it's very disappointing. That's not what I would want if I was, that was my team. And I think it's possible the Texans miss the playoff this year. It's not only possible, it's probably likely. But I wouldn't give up on Deshaun Watson anytime soon. This year is about, this is basically Deshaun Watson's rookie year. And he's going to learn. He's going to grow. He's going to have struggle. It's not going to be perfect. But eventually, I think Deshaun Watson's going to figure it out, and I would not panic if I was a fan of the Texans. <clears throat> so Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, I watched every single play of that 49er Chief game on Sunday. Wow. <laughs> wow. Is he, he throws the ball incredibly. He is accurate. He can move. He struggles with one thing, which is stepping up in the pocket at times. But through the first three games of the year, Patrick Mahomes, have I been saying Deshaun Watson? Patrick Mahomes is incredible. Again, through the first three games of the season, Patrick Mahomes has 13 touchdowns, which is the most ever through the first three games. And that's awesome. If I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm so, so excited because he looks great. However, it is a long season. If I was a fan of the Chiefs, I would temper my expectations just a little bit. Just to be safe. Remember in week one last year, the Kansas City Chiefs dominated the Patriots. They won 42 to 27. And then later in the year, the Chiefs completely fell apart because it's a long season. September is not the benchmark for the year. There are 16 weeks, not just three or four. So if I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm very excited. I think the Chiefs could win the AFC. But don't get ahead of yourself. There's a lot of stuff to go. People are going to watch film on Patrick Mahomes. They're going to look at his tendencies, look at this and that. Does he telegraph stuff? I mean, right now he's incredible. He's reading defenses really well. He's very accurate. But it's a chess match. So the defense is going to make adjustments to Patrick Mahomes. And the question is, can Patrick Mahomes make his own adjustments to their adjustments? You make a move, I'm, I counter it. When defenses eventually adjust to Patrick Mahomes, the question is going to be, can he counter? I hope so. I think so. He's got a great coach on his side, Andy Reid. But we're only three games into the year. If you're a fan of the Chiefs, temper your expectations just a little bit. He, Patrick Mahomes shows great promise. He's incredible. Again, most touchdowns ever through three games in the NFL. But I, I wouldn't get too excited yet. Slow down just a little bit. I think he's a great player. I think he's going to dominate. But let's wait till weeks 9 through 16. Let's see what happens at the end of the year. Because December, November, end of October, that's when often the Kansas City Chiefs have fallen apart under Andy Reid. So we'll see how they do. November, December is going to be very telling of the Chiefs. Every year, Alex Smith started really strong for the Chiefs, and then he fell apart. 
My theory is that Patrick Mahomes, because he's a different transcendent level player who takes more risks with a bigger arm, better in bad weather, I think they're going to be okay in November and December. But let's wait till we get there to make these great proclamations about Patrick Mahomes. I think he's awesome. I think he's great. But we don't really know yet. He's not battle-tested enough for us to say, yeah, future MVP, this, that. Maybe he shows great promise. But temper your expectations just a little bit. Let's get through November, December before you make these grand statements about Patrick Mahomes. I don't think there's anything wrong with being reasonable and saying, okay, well, hmm, temper just a little bit. I want to talk about, you know, I talked about how the Bills and the Vikings was the biggest upset of the weekend. A huge upset happened in college football as well. Old Dominion upset Virginia Tech this weekend. On Saturday, Old Dominion beat Virginia Tech 49 to 35. And I, I will not pretend. I'm, I'm authentic. I'm real. I did not watch this game. Didn't watch this game. I can't offer deep insight to every play-by-play thing that happened in this game. Didn't watch it. But what I can do is share context. See, I heard this stat. I went, Holy, oh my gosh. Old Dominion beat the 13th ranked team in the nation, Virginia Tech. That's surprising already. But then I did some more digging and I said, okay, well, what context can we add to this to make it more impressive or less impressive? And the closer I looked, the more impressive this upset was. So Virginia Tech was 2-0 and going into this game. And week one, Virginia Tech dominated Florida State 24-3. I watched that game. Virginia Tech was just annihilating Florida State. Florida State looked like they didn't belong in the same field. So Virginia Tech was 2-0. They had a game canceled. They were only two, had only two games of the year. And what's even more surprising is actually, if you look, think about it that way, technically Virginia Tech had two weeks to prepare for Old Dominion. Now in contrast, Virginia Tech 2-0. In contrast, Old Dominion was 0-3. They were a Conference USA team. They got dominated. They lost 52-10 to to Liberty. I've never, I've barely heard of Old Dominion. I've only heard of Old Liberty once because they played Alabama and got annihilated. If you know who Liberty is, I commend you, but a lot of people don't. So a Conference USA team that got dominated by Liberty beat Virginia Tech, the 13th ranked team in the nation. The more you look at it, the more you go, oh, geez. Well, I didn't watch that game. You didn't watch that game. But really? And what we learned from that is clearly in football, any team can beat any team on any day. The Bills beat the Vikings. Old Dominion beat Virginia Tech. It's football. That's the, the beauty of football to me is that you can make all these predictions. I make predictions every single week. I say, this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. And the truth is, the honest truth is, sometimes the, nothing follows the rules. And sometimes a team like Old Dominion can destroy a team, can beat a team like Virginia Tech. Now, another final thing you need to understand for context and understanding the Old Dominion-Virginia Tech law, a win. That upset. So it's surprising that a Conference USA team upset the 13th-ranked team in the nation, but when you understand what happened at the end of the game, it was impressive. Old Dominion was keeping up. It was 35-35 in the fourth quarter, and that's impressive enough. But what happened was Virginia Tech's quarterback, Josh Jackson, hurt his ankle. And what it appeared to me uh, in reading about it and watching the highlights of that game, it looked like the life of the stadium just got sucked out when Josh Jackson got hurt. Because you had this team out of nowhere keeping up with you, and your quarterback's keeping you in the game, keeping it competitive, going back and forth. Then your quarterback gets hurt. 
And I think Virginia Tech might have been deflated by their quarterback hurting his ankle. I don't know how bad the injury is. I, I should have looked into it, but I just I know that when you lose your starting quarterback and you're already in a game you shouldn't be close with, I think Virginia Tech just got the life sucked out of him by Josh Jackson's injury. I think they were surprised Old Dominion showed up and was ready to play. And and the more I look at it, man, I just can't believe Old Dominion upset Virginia Tech. Although that injury does certainly explain what happened at the end when Old Dominion ran away from the game, ran away from Virginia Tech in the final minutes. Okay, there are two more things I want to talk about before we end the show. Um, the first one is this. Clay Matthews got a roughing the passer, roughing the quarterback penalty on Sunday against the Washington Redskins. Uh, Clay Matthews sacked Alex Smith, and he landed on him. He tackled him, landed on him, and got a penalty. And I just don't understand. I talked about week one when, or week two, whatever, whenever it happened. I think it was week two. When the Packers played the Vikings, and Kirk Cousins got hit really hard after releasing the ball. So he throws the ball, ball's out of his hand, and then he got picked up and landed on. And it made sense to me at the time. Okay, that could be if you want to interpret it that way. That could be passing, that could be roughing the passer. But what I don't understand is if a quarterback's still holding the ball, if I if I'm still holding the football and I get hit to the ground, I, I get sacked. How can you not land on me? How is it illegal? How is it a penalty if the guy tackling me lands on me? Isn't that just the nature of tackling? I only played safety for one year in high school, but I still... I, <laughs> hello? Is that not how tackling works? I, this is where I think the rule's gone too far. I get the point of it. The point of this is to protect quarterbacks. But I understood when you could accuse Clay Matthews of of roughing the passer against the Vikings. This one made no sense. When Clay Matthews landed on Alex Smith, I, I said, how is that a penalty? That's just a tackle. That's, is that a bad thing? Now you can't tackle at all. And I do agree. I admit the NFL is going too far. They want to protect quarterbacks. They want to keep quarterbacks upright because football is better when quarterback plays really good. But man, the NFL is going too far. It's getting ridiculous. Let's talk about Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen was named the starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals this week. I don't have a lot to say. I have a little bit to say. Uh, the Cardinals are 0-3. And, and this is really my only take, is that if the Cardinals feel like this is the right time, go for it. I, I don't have any problem with it. That makes sense to me. I think it's a good move. If, if you think it's the right time, I'm not going to criticize you. I don't, I'm not in the building. I don't know. Um, it clearly, the Bills felt like it was the right time to start Josh Allen, and it worked out for Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. So if the Cardinals feel like Josh Rosen, their first-round quarterback, is ready, Awesome. Go for it. I commend you. Great move. I, I don't know if it is. We'll find out. But I do know that the Cardinals are not going to win a lot this year. They're 0-3. And you might as well give the guy some experience. I think he's I think he's comfortable taking hits. And he has Sam Bradford looking over his shoulder, going to help him out the rest of the year. So I think I do think that Josh Rosen's going to struggle. I think they're going to they're not a great roster. But why not? Why not give the guy some reps? It's what the Browns are doing. It's what the uh, Bills are doing. It's what the Jets are doing. I don't see the flaw in this. It makes sense to me. I understand why all these rookie quarterbacks are playing. If they're somewhat ready to go, get a guy over their shoulder, helping them out, and, and let them drive the car because they're good enough. They're ready enough to drive the car. Give them reps. Let them learn on the fly. And the last thing I want to mention is that uh, on Sunday Night Football, the Patriots uh, got beat by the Lions like badly, and it just was weird to me. 
I, I need to honestly, I, I'm not ready to talk about it. I want to pour into it more because I, I don't want to make a grand statement about something I'm not super well informed on. I did record the game. So I'm going to watch that. I'm going to talk about that on Wednesday because I just am surprised. I'm interested. I don't know what to make of it. And I'm still pondering, like, what What do you take away from that Patriots loss? Are they really bad? They got beat by the Jaguars. They got beat by the Lions. Do the Patriots suck? I, I thought, you know, I thought when they beat the Texans, that was a big win. Texans are 0-3, so I don't know what to make of the Patriots. Patriots are 1-2, and two, and I, I they're, they're losing games I didn't think they were going to lose. Now, I just don't know what to make of it. I don't I don't know. I got to think about it more. I, I wish I had a great take for you. I'm sure a lot of people on Monday, they're like, this is what we say about the Patriots are making grand statements. I want to be responsible, and I want to look into it more before I say anything about the Patriots because I, I don't know where I land. I, I want to watch the game again. I want to get better notes. Um, and I want to do more research because I just don't know what to make of that loss. I'm flabbergasted and I'm kind of just weirded out. Like the Patriots just laid an egg and it's rare for them to lay an egg. It's it's one thing for them to get beat. They lose close games. The Patriots don't get embarrassed. The Patriots don't lose badly and they did. And so I don't know what to make of that. That It was a very un-Bill Belichick-like game for the Patriots last night and I'm still pondering what to make of it. But that is, if you want to hear my opinion, that's my opinion of it. And otherwise, I'm just like, I... Wednesday we'll make we'll make some better content about it because I just I I need more time I need to look at it again because right now I'm just going oh what happened that's weird to me that doesn't make any sense so I'll watch it again Wednesday expect the Patriots take on Wednesday we're also going to talk about the Steelers Buccaneers that's tonight on Monday Night Football we're going to talk about USC football USC beat Washington State I got some takeaways from that I didn't want to fit it in today I just I'll do it Wednesday On Wednesday, we're also going to talk about college quarterbacks. Every Wednesday, I do a breakdown. What quarterbacks look like NFL quarterbacks based on the last three weeks or four weeks or whatever it is. And the big one is Justin Herbert. He really stepped up. I talked about him in today's show. Justin Herbert really, really impressed me and and played an NFL game on Saturday against the Cardinals, against Arizona, against the Stanford Cardinal. They're not the Cardinals or the Cardinal, which is the weirdest mascot ever. A tree, whatever. Um, And again, on Wednesday, we're going to do the Deadly Dozen. I'm going to do the segment, Zach is a Genius. That is what you can look forward to on Wednesday. I greatly appreciate you guys. I'm struggling in school. I hate it so much. Um, But I really appreciate your support. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And as always, I'll be back on Wednesday. That is all I have for today. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow this show by telling your friends about it on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, whatever it is. If you want this show live on Twitch someday, if you want me to have cool guests, there's a couple. I really want to have Colin Moriarty, who's a he has the biggest PlayStation podcast in the world. He has Sacred Symbols. I want to have him on as a guest. I need more numbers for that stuff. And so please help me grow the show. If you like it, help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'll be back on Wednesday. Really appreciate you guys. And that is all I have for today. But um bum bam, we are done. Bye.